0: This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to Marvel Vision, a podcast about Marvel and the MCU. And right now, Eternals. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And as mentioned, we're going to be talking about the new theatrical movie. Theatrical, theatrical only. So theatrical. Mm-hmm. So theatrical, very like it was throwing a total temper tantrum when I got there, just way yeah. over the top. Uh, Eternals. I mean, but, <laughs> uh Came out on Friday, so if you haven't gotten to see it, we're definitely going to jump into spoilers and talk about a lot of that. So maybe wait the 45 days or so until it pops up on Disney+, Plus, then come back to this podcast. Oh, but okay. in the meantime... It's directed by Chloe Zhao, who did Nomadland, among other things. Screenplay is by Chloe Zhao, Patrick Burley, Ryan Furpo, and Kaz Furpo, who I assume are either related or married or something like that. The Furpo. Story- the Furpos. The Furpos. The, the, the famous Firpos. fir-pos. <laughs> the flying Furpos. The famous
1: flying did you, ever yeah, oh, you ever catch their
0: Yeah, you ever catch their act? They were so good on the Treppies.
1: Well, that's the thing is they were up there with um, laptops, like writing feature films at the same time mm-hmm. they're catching each other. It's a metaphor yeah. for the writing process.
0: The real high wire act was the tricky plot that they put in the movie Eternals.
1: Yeah, they ju- they were able to juggle 10 characters in their circus show as wild.
0: Were they, though? That's one of the big questions we'll be talking about as we talk about this movie. Now, first of all, since I think we've discussed this, we discussed it for Black Widow, certainly, uh, and Shang-Chi as well, but what... What was your theatrical experience like? (laughs) I I mean, uh, I had a non-ideal one for Shang-Chi, which I think uh, affected how I felt about the movie a little bit. Black Widow, I watched at home. Eternals, I will just say straight up, like I went to see it by myself, but it was at the Alamo Draft House checking vaccination status on the way in, so I felt pretty comfortable about that. Still a little uncomfortable seeing a movie in person. I haven't done it a whole lot, but uh, overall, good experience. In the theater, very swift, very easy. uh, And that certainly added to that a little bit. But what about you?
1: This was my first movie uh, post-COVID in a theater. Um, So that was exciting. Went to the Nighthawk, also here in Brooklyn. Um, Great place to see a movie. Had a beer while I was watching it. Truly fantastic to be back in the movie theater. I loved it.
0: Yeah. So that's very nice. That's a nice experience. Now let's talk about the movie, though. Right. there's obviously been a huge divide in terms of how people think about it. Both critics, I think it's the lowest critically rated at least when we're talking about Rotten Tomatoes on uh, of any MCU movie, fans seem kind of divided. I've certainly talked to people who said I loved it and people who said I hated it. So where do you fall? What's your overall take? And I don't know if we want to give it a letter or a number score or just qualitative or how we want to handle this.
1: Well, I'll give you qualitatively. Um, I, I liked it. it. It's one of the more comic booky movies that they've ever done, that the MCU has done, I feel like. Because – and I think I liked it. I'm more on the positive side because I know about all this shit. Mm-hmm. If you're walking into this movie, even if you're a huge <laughs> MCU fan, this is a meal – This is like a full lobster that you got to crack open every little piece to get the meat out. When I feel like they haven't really done that with their movies. Most of their movies are super approachable, even like uh, even Endgame and all that. Like you can catch up with what's going on, and they walk you into it slowly so you're sort of uh slowly boiling to continue the lobster metaphor um until you're loving it you're loving uh, the boiling and in this one it was sort of like the text the beginning i was like oh man if you don't know about this (laughs) you're lost you're lost
0: here it's i'm also on the positive end i enjoyed it more than i thought it would and part of that I do think came from probably low expectations, just hearing people, you know, scattered readings of some reviews, not the full reviews, but just kind of like getting a sense of it. And also the fact that just the commercials, the CGI, the deviants looked awful in the commercials, like absolutely terrible. So seeing the movie as soon as they appeared... I felt a little better about it because I was like, oh, okay, that was unfinished what they put out there. This looks a lot better for the most part on the big screen, so I was pretty happy about that. And there were a lot of characters and moments and fight scenes and action scenes that I thought were really cool. Um, But to your point, it's a lot. There were multiple points during the movie when – and I appreciate and understand they have this whole structure of we got to get the gang back together where I was like – there's like four more people they need to get back together. And yeah. we are well into this movie at this point.
1: Yeah. Um, In a movie that's about getting the band back together and then getting the band back together. Uh, mm-hmm. It was, it was definitely a lot. And even with that sort of, you knew sort of the vibe the entire time you knew what they were doing all the time. It was like, right. So he's that they're doing this. Like it, It was definitely just a lot to keep in your brain and all basically new information. Uh, Mm -hmm. All the characters are new. The situation with the Celestials was new. The Deviants, everything was new. And yet we're still living inside the larger MCU as they made references to that. We talk about Thanos a lot. And there's a little dinner chat about um, uh, Steve (laughs) Rogers and everything. That made it... I feel like that took you out of it another step because then you're like, oh, right. They Mm -hmm. sort of know each other. So then you're like... All this newness in a box of something you know, but then you're like, wait, how does the new stuff know the old stuff? And then all of a sudden you're behind on what's happening in the action. So it was definitely just a lot to conceive, uh, to conceive of in your head at one time while also being like, this is fun. Uh, but uh, the action sequences and the battles I thought were unbelievable. The way this was, some of the camera moves like following uh, Icarus flying back into a, a mm-hmm. fight like was just uh, stunning, really good.
0: Yeah, the stuff while we're talking about that, and I'm sure we'll talk more about the individual sequences, but the stuff with Bakari as well, I thought yeah. was fantastic. We've so- seen some really standout super speed sequences from superhero movies over the past couple of years. Um The Flash thing in Zack Snyder's Justice League. I don't know if you eventually watched that, but that extended sequence is very cool. All the stuff with Quicksilver, uh, Evan Peters, not the other one, very cool as well. (laughs) Uh, But I I feel like they found a new mode here, which was really exciting. And uh, particularly the fight between Makari and Icarus was
1: great. Really good. And this was the Um, best version of the super speedster that can run around the Earth quickly. This is one mm -hmm. where I was like... I buy this a little bit more than other times you're like, I, I ran around the earth and it's just like them on water for a second or whatever. But like mm-hmm. this was like, you got the way they did the landscape. Well, shots. like
0: the shots of the Flash TV show where it's clearly grad Gustin being like, I'm pumping my arms. I'm yeah. Pumping my little <laughs> exactly. arms over here. Give him a break. His uh, arms are exhausted. Two general comments I've heard that I tend to agree with and I'm curious to get your take on. One, to the point of this is a full meal, I've heard a couple of people say this would have been better as a Disney Plus series. Yes. And I think I understand why they didn't launch it that way, but I tend to agree just because of the almost episodic nature of the movie. It's a very long movie, even for the MCU, regardless, you know, putting Endgame or Infinity War or anything like that aside. And it's a sort of thing that might have gotten more room if they had gone for individual episodes or something like that.
1: I mean, I agree, I agree with that take. I, um, I think if this was a series then we get an episode focusing on each character, we could, the flashbacks aren't as jarring because we're doing like maybe one, an episode and it's like lost in the way they're like, Hey, mm-hmm. this is Makari," And this flashback flashes back to, um, her time in um, ancient Rome and how that, this story informs, um, how, who she is and how she's dealing with this, uh, current situation. And then it's a, then it makes a lot of sense. And of course it makes sense. This is an overstuffed movie. So if we have something where we have more time, then it would be better. But on the other side of that, Marvel's not doing, we've done enough TV. They need to be doing Mm -hmm. movies. This is their big movie move. This couldn't be a TV show. Because this is bringing in the newness of uh, of what the MCU is going to be in this next phase, so it always had to be a movie. And with the like Angelina Jolie's in this, like these larger stars aren't going to want to do a a TV show, I don't think.
0: Potentially, I mean, I think Marvel has enough clout at this point that they could get anybody to do pretty much anything. Uh, I think your point of like anything, anything they want. (laughs) Angelina Jolie, I think, is a level of, yeah, she's probably not going to sign up for just a Disney Plus series necessarily. But, you know, they have Oscar Isaac is doing Moon Knight. They have uh, other people that I'm blanking on at the moment doing other things. But I I think, like, they can get people to do stuff. Owen Wilson on Loki, I think, is a good example of that. But, again, to your point and to what I was saying earlier – Eternals is clearly something where they're like. This is it. This is where we're amping it up. Whether this is our next Infinity Saga story or not, this is what we are adding to the MCU here. This is a big story. We're going big and cosmic and jumping ahead. We're bringing in Star Fox at the end and Pip the oh, Troll and all of these are other just characters.
1: Star Fox, dying for Ooh. Star Fox.
0: Um, we'll get to that in a moment, I'm sure, but. Uh yeah, it it of course it had to be a movie, but I think structurally it probably would have been less divisive potentially as a TV show. Uh, of the course, other- but,
1: but I would say that's a, that's because it's not the Marvel big swing. Like they could do, mm-hmm. you know, TV shows for for days, years and it's just like, "Oh cool, I'll watch this." But they need to take big swings. That's the whole Marvel model is like, mm-hmm. "Watch us do this. We don't fail." And I don't think they failed here, um, but they that they must keep creating um, on this large scale. And I would also say that's another vote for why this is a movie. If this is a TV show, the effects and the the fight sequences and everything would not look as good. And I thought this was great, and only because it was a movie.
0: Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Uh, The other thing, though, that I'll throw out at you, and I think this does get to the look a little bit, and this is even something that Chloe Zhao cop to, I saw a couple of people say, beyond the references, even, this is the most DC Marvel movie yet. And I I think that's another fair criticism, not criticism, of another fair note about this movie, because frankly, my least favorite, and I think the part that worked the least was when it was more MCU, by which I mean when you had jokes like the jokes were maybe not great like they could have been plussed up a little bit of the movie potentially and also just when they were talking about the mcu stuff that didn't work as well for me as these are gods who have been living as humans and then they have to realize okay what are they now which is a very yeah. dc thing to do down to icarus pretty much straight up being superman for the most part
1: And while we're talking about that, I – one of the weirdest things in the movie were the two references to DC heroes. Yes. That was so weird and felt like such a Marvel flex. Mm -hmm. Like, we are so not threatened by anything that you're doing that we will reference your characters in our movies and we don't (laughs) give a shit. And, like, why else would they do that? The Alfred Batman thing? I was like, that was even weirder. It doesn't – that's not what that – what Karn was. To uh, to Kumail's character to, to Kingo, like so, it was sort of just like a reference for reference's sake. And the Superman one felt like I was like, oh, that's right. That I see someone saying that. And I'm like, wait, why would they say that in this movie?
0: Yeah, I I would venture a guess. I don't think that bothers a regular person because everybody thinks everything is all the same anyway, even after years of Marvel movies. But to us as comic book fans, the idea of like. Wait, what does that mean? Does that mean that they're reading Superman and Batman comics in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Like, that stuff exists? What are they talking about here? It's the same thing, on a much different scale, but them having that Star Wars coloring book there, that to me was much more like, yeah, it's all Disney, it's a fun little Easter egg-y type thing. But also, same sort of thing, just like seeing these Easter eggs for other universes in there is strange. It's- yeah,
1: because um, I also, like, I just don't understand why. There's no reason to do mm-hmm. that, to do either of those. Like, you could be, Well, like- particularly
0: because the heroes exist. There are heroes that exist in uh, in the Marvel Universe, you know? I don't know if there's an analog necessarily for Batman and Alfred, but you could talk about, like, you'd be like, oh, you're like the happy Hogan to his Tony Stark. That's basically the same thing, right? <laughs> True,
1: that would have been weird, too. (laughs) Uh, As if someone's, like, casually referencing Happy Hogan. Um, But I guess the Superman one, to me, is sort of like, it was meant to be, like, a, a hero we admire, Superman, a fictional hero. When it's just, like, why not reference Iron Man? sort of Mm -hmm. your superman i guess who and then you're then it is talking it's tying it further to the mcu and referencing like iron man's gone and they're like needing a new iron man and then maybe people are looking up to this guy to icarus and being like you're the new like there was a way to tie it into the whole mythology of the universe but instead it was just like this sort of arch like i don't have a cape like weird weird thing (sighs)
0: It's – this movie to me, and I know I said this earlier with the humor thing, but this movie actually worked much better for me when they were not trying to be funny, like when they were not doing jokes, because these are very serious characters across the board. Um, The thing that I was mentioning earlier, and I don't know if uh, folks listening have read this interview, but Chloe Zhao actually said that at least when it comes to Icarus – She was very inspired by Man of Steel. Like she looked at that and liked the look of that movie, their humanistic take towards Superman. And that's sort of at least where she started in terms of Icarus, people have taken that as like, yes, I think Zack Snyder is the blueprint was trending on Twitter for a little while because people were like, Zack Snyder informed this movie. Uh, Eternals is basically a Zack Snyder movie, which is weird because I think the same people two days earlier were like, well, Eternals sucks because it's a Marvel movie. And now they're like, it's great because it's a Zack Snyder movie or whatever. That's that's far afield. My point being that I think like, clearly she did take some of that muted color palette across yep. the board, that more realistic look in locations and that more human take towards Superman. Uh, and I think it works. And specifically know, so the yeah,
1: look of how his eye blasts went, his body uh, composition when he was using his powers, I was like, oh, that's very Superman, very Man yeah. of Steel.
0: Should we jump in and talk about some of the specific characters while we're going there? Yeah. We can kind of run down and talk about what we thought about them. Uh, starting... Why don't we start with Cersei, sort of the surprise star of the movie here. I thought she was great. I love Jenna Chan's performance. I thought she was really, really good. And even if it's not Cersei for the comics at all, I was okay with it.
1: Yeah, uh, it definitely, I was like, oh, this is not at all related to the comic book character, just across the board. Um, but I especially the moments in, in the flashback, and we didn't get a lot in the present day because they were just in dire circumstances at all times. But when she was sort of like happy, I was like, oh, she's really great. Um, and I wish we had more of that. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. across the board. I would just wish we saw more of uh, an emotional range or we just, these characters, we were able to like, have fun with these characters at the same time. I think that's what so much of the humor in the MCU is about. Like, look, we're all having fun here. And then we love the character and then we follow them as they do battle for all of humanity or whatever. And in this, because as we learn, they're robots tech sort of, and they feel emotionless. (laughs) They grow less emotional as the plot heightens when we expect them to be more emotional. So it just, the story and the emotional arcs of these characters was hard to, Enjoy as much, and that's true of her character. But, but to your point, I, I I do think the performance was great, and I like the character. Especially, my prediction that of all the characters, there are two from this movie that I think we will see more of, or the most of, in in the future.
0: Cersei and Dane, right? Or are you 100%. talking about it? Yeah, I mean there there has to be a version of the script out there. That had more of Kit Harrington's Dane Whitman in there, because it is weird that he's like so important to the beginning. They're like, well, see you later. And then at the end of the movie, he's like, oh, by the way, I have these big secrets uh, to tell you about. There's definitely a version where he came along and he was the audience's window on everything that's happening. And they had to have ditched that at some point to refocus, particularly on the Icarus and Cersei romance, which I I do think was good. I don't think it was fantastic. I didn't feel a ton of emotion for it, but I think it was well-filmed, it was well-acted, and it's a smart thing to hook the movie on because it does give you that central arc when there are a lot of characters. But yeah, definitely the dane Cersei thing was way more interesting than anything that was going on with almost anybody else.
1: Uh, Well, especially the the, it felt like a network or a, a studio note of when he, she's like trying to FaceTime with him and it's just literally his name on the phone just so we remember him. I was like, <laughs> okay, I guess that's helpful, yeah. but not the most helpful. Have him show.
0: <laughs> Did you like, uh, I I like this. I, I made mean, it just as a little Easter egg for the fans when you have Icarus and Dade. Face each other down, and fans know that that's Rob Stark and Jon Snow from Game of Thrones. That's fun.
1: Well, I agree, it's fun. It was so early in the movie; totally. and we we didn't know the characters of of Eternals at all, and I was like, "Oh, that's just." John Snow and Rob Stark talking to each other. So <laughs> yes. I actually I wish they'd waited later, to, so we knew who these characters were, so we could enjoy it on a non-meta level. Because I feel like the mm. way we enjoyed that was like I know these pop culture references now, and that that's a, another barrier to enjoying the movie when it's like this is like an Entertainment Weekly cover, not a scene in a Marvel movie that I'm trying to watch.
0: <laughs> no, you're totally right, and I think that comes down to that the weird place that Dane has in the movie. Where he's not necessary, like he's not yeah. necessary at all. Um, maybe he was at one point, but really they're basically like, "Oh, Eric Icarus is here. Okay, we're gonna go with him. Goodbye." And yeah, that's it.
1: And it was. I it struck me as weird how down with uh, Cersei being an immortal uh, being he was, and how very mm-hmm. into all of the sort of supernatural MCU world he was. And it makes sense at the end because he is part of it, but B. Maybe as a larger idea, everyone in the world is more open to events happening. There's so many things happening in the MCU Earth that now maybe everyone's just like, yeah, you're magic. Your friends are this. And like, that's, I thought that was a cool, it was a cool way to play it.
0: I hope that is a thing, and I certainly felt that too, because one of the most annoying parts of any movie is like, whoa, what? Sorcery's real. What are we gonna do? Whoa! And then coming around to that, let's just move past that. You know, half the world's population disappeared and then came back. I think and we everybody seems to know about this Thanos attack. They know Thanos' name. They know exactly what happened. This is a matter of public record. So they know that there are alien armadas out there. Uh, Pretty soon, they're probably going to know about multiverses and things. So just roll with it, man.
1: (laughs) Just roll with it, Earth. Now that you have a new face island um, in the Indian Ocean at the end of this movie.
0: (laughs) I did like that, too. That, That was a fun visual And I feel like a little bit of a shout out to the current Avengers status quo where they live in a Celestial who's been frozen. So not exactly the same thing, but pretty close.
1: I'd be getting real estate on that big old Celestial Mm -hmm. face. Uh...
0: Yes. And we probably – because this is also one of my least favorite things to do, but we probably – there was a brief moment where I was like – good a good quarter of that celestial came out at this point based on what you told me earlier the earth is god like yeah. this is not something that you actually stopped instead there were some light waves on the beach and that was pretty much it
1: i was thinking that as well and not quite sure i know visually why they wanted to do it that way but i was like he just made a big deal about this earth being busted like an egg. it's <laughs> like if it's a, a chicken's coming out of an egg and you you're not you don't have the egg anymore once the things <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you've made eggs before, it's over. Once you yeah. get the yolk out, it's over.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about Icarus, just because we chatted about him a little bit. What did you think about Richard Madden as Icarus?
1: Um, I-, I liked his performance. Um, I liked him. He did. He did a good job. Of I was suspicious of him a little bit, like uh, without being of having full alarms going mm-hmm. off. So it made for like even though the re- reveal was delayed to th- literally the last moment. Um, mm-hmm. Like we could have gotten it a little bit earlier, I think, because it was weird that he was like, I'm not going to let you do this. He admits that he killed, uh, killed Ajack And then he's like, and now I'm going to sit here for a minute while you guys figure out how to beat me. It, it just made for like, everything was compressed to the point where mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, if you were gone for more of the movie, I would like your return a lot better.
0: Yes. Yeah, I agree on that. Uh That said, I liked the plot twists a lot. Yeah. They felt very natural retroactively with the information that we had, both when Cersei gets the whole download from uh, the Celestial about who they really are and what their history is and their mission. I thought that was very well done, That's and cool. I enjoyed all the twists there. But I think ultimately – The Icarus twist didn't 100% work for me just based on the information that we had before. But at the same time, I still liked where it led the movie towards the end, even though it meant that there was a lot of stuff going on in the finale. I think ultimately it was really well-balanced in terms of the Theena versus Deviant fight, Icarus fighting pretty much everybody else, Cersei trying to stop the Celestial. I think they did a good job, and that's not not easy to do, to balance that many elements at that point in the movie.
1: Yeah, I agree. And – There was a a moment when Icarus is fighting on the beach and then the Deviant shows up. I was like, oh, this is too much happening right now. Um, (laughs) But I thought the way they split it and made it about Thena's fight um, uh, was great. really capitalized on that emotional story there and her finishing move on the Deviant was very cool.
0: Yes. I mean, we could move over and talk about her then because I was really surprised about the way they did theta angelina jolie's role in the movie and the fact that she was broken for so much of it it that ended up being a lot more emotional for me i think than a lot of the other stuff i think she did it really well i was kind of expecting her just to be this badass maybe the person who goes bad and you know teams up with the deviants or something like that yeah. because that's sort of what you expect from her as an actress but having her as this person with her mind broken I think you forget that's part of what Angelina Jolie does really well going all the way back to Girl Interrupted mm, and the yes. fact that they brought her Hero back to that. It. Yeah, there you go. I, I thought it was really good and I enjoyed it. How did you feel?
1: I liked it a lot too. I especially like that they had the sort of solution to the fighting problem of her giving up her memory. And they, they didn't do it. They let her be – they let her be – make the choice that she didn't want to do that. And then let her be messed up in that way for the entire movie. And it, it worked. I, I thought it was, I agree. It was one of the best arcs, I thought, of the, of the movie.
0: Yeah. Um, that all said, even though she got a lot of time, I didn't really feel a lot from Gilgamesh. Um, I liked him. I liked watching him. But he was one of the characters that I sort of felt like we got the least from because he was putting everything into Thena instead of us finding more about him.
1: Yeah, and I also think the times when we were with him, it was like, bit, time to do bits and uh, Mm -hmm. make jokes. And that was sort of not a great part of the movie each time that happened. Um, There were a couple of funny moments uh, for sure, but uh, it definitely kept a barrier up between us and and him as a character. Yeah.
0: Uh, Let's very carefully move on to our Fred Kubel-Dangiotti as Kigo. I thought it was good. That's all. That's what I'll say. I thought it was funny.
1: And let me yeah. say, there's been much disgust about how he got jacked for this movie. But when we cut to the Bollywood scene, I was like, Jesus, his biceps are so big. Huge. I was like, you didn't even need to do this much, Kumail. Yeah. Um, but no, great. I mean, I do think he was much more effective as sort of a comedy driver in the moments because it was, the thing that Kumail does naturally as an actor very well is play that sort of I just have one last little joke question to throw onto a scene and the characters being real about it, as opposed to a character trying to be funny. And I thought that was really effective in a movie that was very like religious uh, in its sort of themes Mm -hmm. and everything to make that hard turn into like, I'm wearing a baby costume while funny. I was like, this is confusing. Kumail's joke lines felt like as little tags on scenes and his relationship with, um his, his assistant, I thought, was really fun.
0: That said, it was weird that he disappeared for the entire finale. I'm not yes. quite sure why that happened or what that choice was. And I realized while it was happening at the time, but sort of pushed it aside because so many things were happening. But when he popped up at the end, he was like, well, we really beat them, guys. I was like, what? Where were you? Yeah. What happened there?
1: That was weird because – to me, it felt like something that was so weird. There was probably a production reason for it. Um, maybe I don't know. Um, we weren't there, but it just felt so. Because if you if it was part of the actual story, have a cutaway to him doing something that while he's not there, like if he's getting ready for uh, to leave and and go back into to Olympia or whatever, just some reason, something for him to do.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Uh, But that said, good, fun stuff. Let's talk about Leah McHugh as Sprite, who I also thought was really great. And if anybody, probably, and this is based on my scant knowledge of the actual Eternals, but probably the closest to the actual character for the comic book, I would say.
1: Yes, um, I agree. Especially the current um, run, Uh, Sprite feels, it felt like ripped right off the page um, to me with this character. And good, again, though, like something at the end where I was like, I guess in you, you know someone for 7,000 years, you forgive some outright treachery?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. That that to me, though, felt very true to the Eternals. Like constantly, Sprite and Druig, I think, are betraying them and then coming back to the family and then betraying them and then coming back to the family. And I, I, I bought it. Like I understand how there might be hesitation there, potentially, but that made sense to me. I do think, even though it felt a little tacked on, making Sprite into a real girl at the end uh, certainly was a good solution to something I was wondering about the whole movie, which is if they do more Eternals movies, she's going to get taller. So how are they going to handle that? And that's felt like a nice solution to keep her part of the universe, have her pop up, in some further movies, but allow her to actually grow up in real time.
1: Uh, Yeah. And, you know, it satisfies the story uh, reason for her to, to want that and then get it. And I guess she, she retains her powers. Like she's part of it. She's just human now.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Brian Tyree Henry as Fastos, uh, certainly big deal in terms of actually having a actual gay relationship in the MCU versus everything that they had done previously, like whichever one of the Russos it was who showed up in Captain America's support group and had game, was like, well, my, uh, my boyfriend, blah, 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 but it not actually being thing. Um, I thought this was a good relationship and I liked this family and I thought he was good as a character. Um, I don't quite get the whole, we don't interfere in human affairs, but also Fastos gives them technology thing. That seemed strange.
1: It doesn't. They sort of chalk it up to him being like, "I'm just, I just have to finish designing this thing," uh, which is weird. Um, and then to have him really push that and be like shocked and visit Hiroshima, <laughs> like yeah. after the bomb drop, I was like, "What <sighs> are we doing here?" Um that to me was weird. So uh, in for the first thirds of the movie I think his character is like what? I don't know, man. I don't even know what your powers are. Designing stuff or I guess sort of building it in the air Tony Stark style except you use actual metal instead of holograms. Um and then well, in the final third I think his character really pops and we get to actually see him have something to fight for, have a real family and relationship that matters. And then he's awesome in the final fight sequence with Icarus.
0: Yeah, that was great. I love seeing that. I thought that was really good as well and I definitely agree. Uh, we talked a little bit about Lauren Ridloff as Makari. One of the things I really appreciated about that, she's a great actress. You probably know her from Walking Dead as well. Uh, but the fact that they, she is deaf, she uses sign language, but it's not her character. Like, that. that's not... Her power or something, which I feel like is this very embarrassing thing that comic books do a lot. Um, I thought was great, like not to draw attention to something. That I am appreciating because they didn't draw too much attention to, but I will because I think it is laudable that she just is a character in the world. Her relationship with Druig is really interesting yeah, and uh, maybe even a more interesting kind of pseudo-romance than whatever was going on with Eric and Cersei. Um, And just overall, I want to know more about that character. I would have loved to see her in more of the movie.
1: Yeah, I thought for sure they were going to do something where it's like, and that's how she lost her hearing. And I was just that they didn't do that. I was like, oh, finally, we're here and can do that. um And they can, they feel like they can do that when for so long they do what you said and made it, tied it in a very embarrassing way. Uh, but I agree that uh, the sort of romance between, between her and Druig was a real like bright little bit of sun, emotional sun in a movie that was sort of clouded over with uh, with narrative the whole time.
0: And he was really, jumping over to him, I thought he was great. Like, as somebody who's yeah. the closest they have to a villain until the Icarus reveal, I thought he was really well done. He was very uh, sympathetic the entire time, and the fact that his motivator like, frankly, a lot of the motivators in the movie were understandable and appreciable, both also going to the whole yeah. overall conflict between the Eternals and the Celestials. I thought that was really good. Like, you can actually understand all sides of the conflicts there, whether it's Druic, whether it's the overall thing. Um, and that's not easy to do.
1: Yeah, Um and his character really got to sort of one of the one of the more interesting things I thought about the movie that it really was about this like trusting your God, believing in a God that you actually do have a relationship with, and uh, and why we do things, why a God would choose to do something, wrestling with that sort of religious philosophical um, those choices. I thought was great, and something that they didn't really point at too much in the movie but that is what the main difference was in the the heroes versus the villains like icarus believed in his god and Circe and Ajax, uh we find out later chose to reject their god um for a greater good that they believed in and that was a, a great that's a great story uh a great motivator for this action um and it happens but they don't ever really they show it without telling us about it
0: Yeah. And Ajak I thought was good as well. We didn't get as much from Salva Hayek, obviously, because she dies very early in the movie. Um, But I thought she did a good job as the leader. I think if they continue with the Turtles, we'd probably potentially see more of her be involved, uh, involved in some sort of flashbacks because there's so much more story they can tell. But as a presence, I thought she was a good central presence. Yeah, I agree. Why don't we jump and talk about the post-credit sequences, since I think we've covered some of the bigger points in the movie, and I'm sure people have been discussing those. Uh, So the first one, we got some of the Eternals are in space. They're going to go find other Eternals and sort of free them Westworld-style from the robot overlords. And then they (laughs) meet another Eternal – who is Harry Styles as Star Fox, a.k.a. Eros, the brother of Thanos, as well as Pip the Troll, played by Patton Oswalt. Um, I'll tell you what, uh, not to be too harsh, this scene was garbage.
1: Yes, this is bad for many reasons. One, we, they show up and we don't know anything about anything that's happening here. Uh, to the point where I was like, this is just a way to show that you have Harry Styles here. Yeah, there's no other reason to do it. And I didn't know that that was Harry Styles when I saw it. I was like, who is this that they did this for? Because I don't know or care about it really. I don't I don't know because I don't know, I don't care about it and the scene itself was uh not not useful. And then the the animation on
0: Pip was really oh. bad. The animation on Pip was terrible. And like you, I don't really have too much of a connection to Harry Styles. Like, I'm, I'm happy for somebody to be good. Like, please be a musician who's also a good actor. Yeah. But Star Fox is a character that I like. Star Fox is supposed to be a ridiculously enigmatic. He's this character who's just like constantly being a gross lech to absolutely everybody. So should be the person that you're like hubba hubba all the time. That was some of the worst acting I think I've seen in a very long time. Like, even beyond being Star Fox, it just was flat. The line readings were completely flat. There was nothing going on there. And add in that you have this total confusion about, hold on, if you're a robot – and you're the brother of Thanos, is Thanos also a robot? What What is going on here? Is Thanos also an Eternal? What is happening? Just I know, certainly we know things from the comic books, but like you were talking about earlier with adding all this information at the same time, there are too many questions in that one yes. scene, not enough answers. And particularly after we've already had an ending of the movie that does not end. Like, they could have ended yeah. it a million times, and instead they have... Uh, it's Cersei, Kingo, and is it also Fastos who are taken by the Celestial for judgment?
1: Yeah, everybody that stayed on Earth.
0: Yeah, so yeah, first you have Dane Whitman being like, ooh, I've got a big secret that i got to tell you about. And you're like, where is this coming from? What does this have to do? Anything yeah. you haven't been in this movie? Then the Celestial shows up. Everybody's like, whoa, that was weird. They get taken somewhere for judgment. So we're already like... If I teeing up in Turtles 2, then this other stuff comes in. It's too much. It's too much at the end of the movie.
1: And what do you think – I agree. And what do you think that we're setting up for with that Star Fox scene? A Guardians – we're leading into a Guardians movie, the next – not the one next, but the next next.
0: I think that has to be – maybe it's showing up in Guardians 3, potentially. Like, they're certainly ending whatever the Guardians trilogy is, but – I tend to think that's all set up for Eternals 2, more than anything. See,
1: is there going to be an Eternals 2? Wasn't there um, some news on like, yeah, we don't need to do Eternals 2.
0: I think they were kind of hedging their bets based on how well it did this weekend, and it did—we're taping this Sunday night—Sunday uh, afternoon, excuse me—and it did fine. Like, it yeah. did totally fine at the box office. Critically, fan-wise, like we talked about, a little bit mixed, but it's a Marvel movie. It'll continue to do fine worldwide. It'll yeah. do great on Disney+. Plus. So they'll do some sort of sequel in some way, but it might be a little bit.
1: Well, given that we're getting Adam Warlock in uh, in the new Guardians movie— Do you think we're – because I think instead of doing an Eternals 2, we could do a Warlock and the Infinity Watch
0: movie. Yeah, potentially. We could have something like that. I don't think we're going to see a Disney Plus series necessarily. But it could also be – since Thor Ragnarok at least partially seems to be a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, we could see Guardians of the Galaxy partially be an Eternals movie. Maybe. It could be all mixed up.
1: Yeah, and and that would make sense. But – I don't know. It really – it didn't give us enough of a direction to be ex, to be excited about it. It just gave us a bunch of mm-hmm. – or not even a bunch, just like a couple of random ideas that are like, a what? And then it's over.
0: That all said, even though it also probably was the wrong place to put, the second post-credits, I thought, was great. I really liked it. Really? I don't know how you felt about it. Yeah, but – so we get Dane Whitman with the Ebony Blade, which they mentioned earlier in the movie – it seems to be haunted with spirits <laughs> and w- what's the exact yeah. deal because i always kind of forget like he needs to kill people with the blade right
1: um it's yes and the, the i think it's his uncle had had been bad had been an evil black knight and the idea is that blade is passed on to him so that he can do, try to do good with it but it's a mm-hmm. curse Um, So he's, I think, compelled to seek vengeance maybe or to like right wrongs uh, and kill the bad side of of whatever the crime was.
0: Well, and I think if it spills blood, it starts to go terribly wrong is what happens. Like it sort of starts to infect him with this evil, if I remember correctly. But whatever it is, I thought that was really well done. And then there's the big thing, and I can't believe Pete – Our other co-host is not here to talk about this. But there's these voice at the end who says, "Um, are you sure you want to do that, Mr. Whitman? And that is Mahershala Ali as Blade, um, who they clearly called up. And they're like, hey, can you record this line? I know you can't come into the studio to film this.
1: Uh, Yeah, it was a weird bit of ADR at the end there. But um, to your point, that was the exciting part of the end. And what do you think? Are we headed to a Disney Plus series following Dane? (laughs)
0: Um, Maybe. I think we could see something like that, or my first thought when I heard Blade's voice there was getting some sort of like, I don't know, Midnight Suns or Marvel Knights or something like that movie, potentially. Like, you've already got a Moon Knight series coming, so they could potentially even show up in the Moon Knight series, but I tend to think more like Moon Knight series, and then you kick that in. So you have Moon Knight, you got Black Knight. You got night knight. You got uh, night nurse. Maybe a couple of night other night. characters. Good, there. Night, Good, mm-hmm, yeah. Good night, moon. Good, Good night, moon. The most dangerous villain in the Marvel yeah. universe. Mittens uh, and blade. You know, just whatever you have. These like dark heroes teaming up for something. So maybe you even have. Maybe even that's the Dark Avengers movie, and they take that name and throw it on there instead of the villains. You know.
1: I mean, that's fun. Um, I do think saving the Dark Avengers for a that type of storyline would be good. We talked about that as maybe being a potential move for the next MCU phase. Um, but I do think Midnight Suns having just like the uh, the, the dark underbelly of the Marvel universe where these characters, everything's horrifying, I think is a a great direction to go in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, it's the sort of thing, I hesitate to even say this, but given... The super weird end credit sequence for Venom Two, where they seem to imply the Venom is now in the MCU in some way. Throw Venom in there; people lose their minds. You have Venom, wow. Black Knight, and uh, Blade all teaming up. Great, that's fun.
1: I mean, that would be cool. What's the this dance that Marvel and Sony are doing? Like, what's going to happen here? How's that going to end? I don't,
0: well? I don't know. <laughs> it's the day we well. got Morbius. <laughs> are
1: we going to be talking about Morbius for the next five years?
0: Oh, God, I hope not. I But I think, like, I mean, this is getting far afield from Eternals, but I think Sony is just kind of playing this game of chicken with Marvel is what it feels like, where they're like, yeah, we'll do, yeah, we'll do some stuff. You can't stop us from doing this stuff. Here we go. And eventually, either Marvel is going to have to ditch them or contradict them or embrace it in some way. Like, they're certainly coasting on the Marvel name at this point, because I don't think even the people who like it aren't, like, Yes, Venom two is the same level of quality as the rest of the MCU movies.
1: I mean, yes, but I would also say like Sony's like the underdog team that keeps scoring touchdowns. When they're like they they like nobody thinks these movies are gonna do well and it keeps being like, Wow, I can't believe Venom worked. I can't believe Venom two is working. Morbius, no way that's gonna work. If that's a hit
0: too, it's like what are you what are we doing here? They're doing it in their own way. There we go. Maybe we'll see Morbius versus Eternals on the big screen in three years. I think that would be great. Morbius versus Blade, right yeah. itself. Before we wrap up here, any final thoughts on Eternals? Any things you want to call out that you thought were interesting in particular?
1: Um, I mean, just generally, uh, we, we hit all the, all the points, but um, I thought, oh, I did want to talk about Chloe Zhao really loves to have a son- toggling, like, basically like I am right now on our camera here, Alex. Uh, (laughs) A son behind the actor that pops out every once in a while when they're talking. That happened, like, 15 times. It made me think, like, whoever the son's agent was got them a really good deal (laughs) on appearing in this movie uh, as a cameo. Um, So that, I thought, was, like, almost like a signature on every scene that included it from Chloe Zhao. The other thing though a lot of the fights were in like magic hour or in low light or in all these things and I just thought that was a different the whole the whole look of the movie was something we haven't really seen in um, In an MCU movie mm-hmm. There was a sex scene um, A lot of the look, much more like handheld <laughs> close-up shots
0: Yes, you're very generously calling it a sex scene It's two people who may or may not Have been wearing shirts lying on top of each other the, While that was going on The only thing I could think about Was somebody on the phone right off camera Being like, so how many how many grunts and thrusts Are we allowed to do? Well, but None? I, None of them? Alright
1: 100%, but they, that's why there hasn't been one Yet
0: no, I know. It, it's fine. Like, they did what they had to do. They did what they could do there. But um, I I don't think it's, like, opened the window to some raunchy sex scenes in the next... No,
1: Avengers I'm not saying it is, but I will like that, say you know? it's different. And that's, that's sort of one big thing about this movie, is it's a different mm-hmm. Marvel movie.
0: Totally. They're absolutely trying to push the envelope. The other thing, not to be overly critical, because there's no way I could do this this that well, but I saw somebody note that Chloe Zhao probably made uh, the best-looking MCU movie right. and this is the worst Chloe Zhao movie and i yeah. think that's probably correct just also in terms of the look like like you were saying it it to me it felt like it kept jumping yeah. back and forth between these looks sometimes and i don't know if that came in the editing or what was going on but you watch something like No Man's Land, which is stunningly gorgeous throughout and consistent and incredible to just to look at on a, on that basis alone. And here, sometimes it felt like it was filmed in MCU house style. Sometimes it felt like Chloe Zhao was filming it. Maybe that's because of the way the sick and unit was filming stuff versus her specifically directing stuff. I don't know. Uh, but then there's also things where it's like, and this is my own. Prejudice is probably the wrong word, but certainly the way that I'm viewing this stuff, where her stuff looks gorgeous, but also it's the sort of thing that they've been able to accomplish through CGI on Marvel movies. So it didn't actually feel that different sometimes when I was watching it, you know? Which is unfair, but that's wow, what it you're is. You're a
1: full metaverse guy, huh? Absolutely. You all all three cannot,
0: cannot wait to work in the metaverse. It's gonna be so great to have business meetings there as a robot.
1: Oh yeah! Finally, I want to not know if I'm talking to a human uh, for the first time. I might not be. I might be a hologram. I mean, I agree with you. It is a little. Um, it's not consistent throughout. But I think that's just you can't shoot uh, like just a naturalistic camera look and then do a bunch of very intense CGI stuff. Handheld, sure. like you can't. It's just not possible to to do that without really working toward it. And I think sometimes it really worked, and other times it was like the work was sort of, uh, we were seeing the scaffolding of it, um, trying to be something that was much harder to pull off than maybe they thought or, or just, it is just hard. Um, But uh, I do think I do give them credit for, for doing new stuff. And and, uh, this movie was very new in relation to other MCU movies and they had some hits, uh, they had some misses, but if we're calling this the beginning of the next phase, Um, in a big way, that's sort of saying Black Widow and Shang-Chi were a little bit outliers or sort of movies in between, then this feels like it has some of the type of mistakes that the original Iron Man had, Hmm. and now they're going to move forward from here.
0: Yeah, I think that's a totally fair way of putting it. And ultimately, it's not like, well, this is it. This is the end of the MCU. Sorry. Only... Quite the opposite. (laughs) Quite the opposite. And if there are things that don't work here, one thing that Marvel is really good at is getting that feedback Assimilating it and then figuring out, okay, what do we do to make it better the next time? You know, how do we pivot from here? What didn't work? What didn't work? And that's okay. That's part of the creative process is to figure it out. And Marvel is in a very unique place in the entertainment industry where they're not one hit away from failing. They're probably 10 hits away from failing, you know? So this is, if that. So this is something like, Clearly, a hiccup qualitatively in terms of the way that people are responding to it. But like you're saying, now that they have had a very relatively chaste sex scene, now that they have had an actual gay couple, that is it. Like that barrier has been broken. Those are things that they can continue to experiment with and push in different ways. They can have more diverse characters. Clearly, they did well in terms of the box office and having almost in the majority, non-white faces in a movie that didn't affect the box office at all. You know, it didn't affect anything. So they can point to that and say, hey, we did this in a very similar way to like Guardians of the Galaxy. It was this big swing in terms of humor and weirdness and having a tree and a raccoon. Like I'm not making a, you know, a total connection between it. But it was something where it was like, I don't know if this is going to work for Marvel. And then they did it and that became like – a tone setter for the yep. rest of the thing where they're like, yeah, you can take swings. It's okay. Have a CGI character here. Have some weird humor. Try some scenes that maybe don't work. That's fine. And here it's the same sort of thing. Obviously, it's very serious in a very different way, but they are taking these swings that allow other filmmakers down the road to experiment and to change things and not just have this MCU house style so that you can have movies with Chloe Zhao directing or somebody else down the road who are going to be even more experimental and even weirder and really have the chance to fail, which also gives you the chance to create something great. Yeah. No, totally. All right. There you go. And that is Eternals. Let us know what you thought about it. We would love to hear. You can always email us at at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to support this podcast and other podcasts, we do patreon.com slash comicbookclub, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show. We do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We love to chat with you about the MCU uh, at Marvel Vision Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Come Live.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, stay marvelous.